Welcome to another edition of Two Irish Guys Discussing Software. This is episode 31. This time we are going to talk about third-party software maintainers and how third-party software maintainers are changing the software world. And this month I have my old friend, my colleague, my co-founder, Rowan O'Donoghue and our CTO in the company joining me again, standing in for Brendan. Welcome, Rowan. Thank you very much, Tomas. You have me blushing. Oh, wow. <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen no, very often. I'll take it, though. Yeah, yeah, it's great. We have you here, and we've got, again, thank God you're Irish also. We got the, yes. we could keep the theme going, two Irish guys discussing software, and we're going to talk about software, and we're going to talk about the third, our own industry. We haven't talked about that for a long time. Uh, and we have a fantastic guest today. We have a great guest. We have Martin Biggs. Martin Biggs is ex-IBM, which is going to be really fascinating. Yes. <laughs> which is going to be great to talk about. But he also is what he is today. He is the vice president and general manager of Spinnaker Supports EMEA business. He has been in the company for a number of years, but he has been writing about some of the things we talk about regularly. He has a very interesting blog piece we called Relying on Oracle Software Support is a Dangerous Game. Mm. Yeah, I love those kind of pieces, yeah. you know. So we're going to be talking to him in a little bit, but you know, it's been where we are, end of February, beginning of March, about to start. God, it's been. Yeah, we thought COVID was bad. It's just gone crazy. The situation in, in, in Russia and Ukraine, when Ukraine with the Russians, it's nuts. What's it mean for our industry? I'm thinking, I was thinking, I was thinking about this on the way in on the car this morning. I was thinking, what does it mean for our industry? What we're doing? We know in our business, when yeah. this is there's even greater number of cyber security threats out there. Yeah, it's 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 been interesting the last while. I mean, it's funny because if I roll back probably two years ago, we wouldn't have had visibility of this. But but now we've kind of ramped up our own efforts around the security services as we protect these IBM software products. We've created our own kind of intelligence kind of function. And it's interesting when you see something like a, a war in Ukraine, you, you know, you've got your on the kind of battlefield combatants. But then there's the guys which you don't see. Right. And this is these kind of cyber wars. We're seeing, obviously, there's a whole, you know, kind of threat landscape where Russia's attacking a lot of Ukraine kind of you know websites and stuff for that a lot of the kind of national infrastructure and we're seeing a lot of hackers then kind of in retaliation target kind of russia but i think one of the biggest thing here is i guess is a lot of organizations could potentially uh, be in the sites and stuff for that for cyber threats and yeah. um, so obviously a lot of our customers will be uh, nervous about this and um, so we've been taking kind of proactive steps to kind of rally and make sure they get the support they need but it's certainly been interesting the last couple of weeks it's really escalated the whole thing i mean i also was thinking about what's been happening in that part of the world of eastern european whether it's been those countries that are part of the eu or those countries that are close to the eu like ukraine which is on the border i mean it's had a boom in in all i guess it's more nearshoring than offshoring i guess you yeah it. it's been had a massive boom i mean i know many companies have been have invested over there i mean it was like reading about sap they have a big operation in that part of the world they've yeah. had to move staff out of uh, Ukraine. I mean, I mean, how were they able to move all the staff? I was looking at the number of people in, in IBM. And you, I mean, they have less than 500 people, according to LinkedIn in Ukraine. In Russia, they have nearly 2,000 people. I mean, how are they? The workforce, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 changing a lot. And then the infrastructure. So, I mean, they may be there, but then is the infrastructure there to allow them to do their day to day job? Absolutely, you know? yeah. So it's 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 changing the landscape. You know, I mean, it's a kind of a rude awakening for all of us to remember there's there's bigger things potentially out there in the in, in the world. Yeah, I mean, and I think it probably just goes to show you that the these kind of sands can shift fairly quickly, and get, you get caught out by a lot of these things, which you, which would be unexpected. 
you know. So, but but uh, results in general have been still good in the tech industry. Our good friend IBM came out with some some, some good news, some really good some news, really good news, yeah, which we haven't announced for a long time. So let's, so, so let's and, I, and I'm here to bring the balance and stuff like that. So yeah, <laughs> but no, to be fair to IBM, earning results came in for a Q4. I think they've kind of surprised industry expectations. I mean, these are the first results after them completing out the Kindle and the Vester. I think IBM's kind of focus is obviously being in hybrid cloud. You know, I think that's beginning to kind of pay off now. And equally, I suppose, it's, it's probably a good indicator, a strong sign within the industry, particularly the pandemic, that a lot of these industries kind of hit by this is kind of bouncing back. But looking at their numbers, yeah, I mean, for the final, you know, net income was 2.3 billion. So that's a kind of 71% increase year over year. When you look at the revenue, probably is a bit of a decline, but overall, it's a fantastic number, I guess, for, for IBM. It's beginning to show that it is paying off. You mean um, 7%? Sorry, 7%. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm 70%. 71%, 7%. But yeah, so I think it's it's good news for them. They're on the right track. It's beginning to pay off. It'll just be interesting to see whether they can keep the momentum behind it going They're getting a lot, getting a lot of analysts out there talking about them. I saw a guy, uh, Steve Gray Bouyens, great name, from Pearl Gray Equity Research. He wrote a piece that IBM turns a corner with solid financial performance, and he says he is bullish on their stock. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I think there's potential some room there. So we'll, we'll wait and see, we'll see, see how it goes. But they've been getting rid of a few bits part of their businesses, haven't they? Again, yeah. more stuff gone. So stuff, Kindle split off. It's, what else? It's coming back to this, you know, focus on growth, anything that's in the portfolio that's not performance. So one of the areas they've kind of divested again is Watson Health. So they've been pumping a lot of money into this the last number of years, about, you know, anywhere up at northwards of 4 billion to prop up the initiative. And this is all about the kind of, uh, medical research and using AI, but I think it looks like they've sold that for about a billion dollars and it hasn't worked from probably a bit premature to the market. I think they've probably underestimated the over-reliance on the human element to generate results in that business, but ultimately it doesn't form part of their kind of growth strategy going forward. So time to move it on. So IBM sells their health business. Oracle recently bought Cerner, bought Cerner. So Oracle buys into the health business. I don't know. I mean, what's that tell you about the health business? Is it a good place to be or not? We'll wait and see. Other news I saw, we had well, most of the stocks have been doing well, but gee, Facebook. Facebook. Or I should be calling them the new name, uh, Meta. Yeah, <laughs> Meta, the Metaverse. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The next podcast will be here as kind of avatars. Yeah, yeah. I like the, I like the kind of saying Meta. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it's a rare plunge for them. I think they're it's kind of sent a bit of kind of shockwaves. I think Wall Street has been spooked by their focus and doubling down in the Metaverse itself. Yeah, um, obviously they've been hit by kind of the privacy changes that Apple have made then as well. So that's kind of they're seeing an impact of a ten billion loss in kind of ad revenue. But even looking at the share price, it, it kind of fell sharply down uh, down to $237. And even today, it's still down at 209 So that's a fair drop. You know, if you look back a couple of months, that was up around $360. So a fair bit of a drop. It'll be interesting to see. Now, there's other organizations getting into this space as well. You've got Apple, Google, Microsoft just bought Activision Blizzard as well. Everyone sees the, the future as the meta. Um, everybody but, seems uh, to be attacking them. I mean, we know we've talked many times on the show, as you know, about what's happened with some of the antitrust activity. Mm. I mean, well, I don't think we, we won't go into that this, on this show this time because we've talked about it a lot of, and, and nothing really is, not a lot has happened in the last month, but, but they are under a lot of attack. They're attacked from legislators or they're attacked both in Europe and the US. They're under attack from their own Here's Apple, you know, uh, making some ch the changes about privacy and, and mm. uh, that's impacted their ad revenue. How did they become 
the really bad guy. <laughs> you know, they're the Putin of the. Uh, <laughs> what well, they are like they're kind of the yeah. Putin of the. Of well, no the one likes it. Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's you competition. You, you would have well. thought Jeff Bezos might be that guy. Uh, well, he's, he's next in the foreign line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think between competition, I me, mean, no one likes it. You know what I mean? With these large organizations, there's so much power they actually wield. There's a lot of competition. Ultimately, people are not using the service, the traditional services. So. Again, it'll be interesting to see, will everyone move to the new version of the web, which is our clause in the meta? We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, well, they've made markets before, so we'll wait and see. that They, yeah, they, they could, could pull this off, yeah. but then again, it could be one of the other players. I mean, particularly, you know, one of the other vendors could be Google, could be Microsoft. They could put a, play a blinder here with even the, Act, the Activision acquisition. Yeah, they, they do underpin the whole the whole thing. I mean, speaking of a company that's underpinning the whole thing, I don't know if you saw the, what, what uh, they haven't made the acquisition yet, but what underpins the, the, the whole internet, Cisco, they practically have the whole market sewn up. I saw that they made a big offer for Splunk. All right, yeah. Splunk, yeah. Splunk, I uh, made an offer 20 billion there the other week. Nothing's happened yet. They haven't, it hasn't closed as of as we're going to record now today. Nothing's happened yet, but the 20 billion would be, I think, their biggest acquisition ever. So I was trying to figure out what Splunk did. <laughs> <laughs> the layman's I had, version. <laughs> I had to Google it, but they do. They do. Is it monitoring and 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 uh, searching for big data? That's what I found yeah. out. That's the, Wiki, the Wikipedia page. The Wikipedia me. version. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, 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 seriously. What what Splunk are in that kind of data, big data space? Aren't they're they? they're very much in kind of data analytics. Started as kind of infrastructure monitoring. You know, they've developed over tools over the over the last number of years. They're into security. Essentially, it gives you good observation in terms of what what's happening with the with the instruments you have out there so to you make proper decisions so it's it probably is a good fit for Cisco to kind of get in acquire a company that you know this layer on top of their own product sets as they scale but yeah very good platform but well we'll see what's an interesting acquisition we'll be see what happens, happens yeah, yeah yeah well there's a company now Cisco that makes some of the other companies seem like very nice organizations <laughs> in terms of their business practices we won't we won't go there or allegedly as Brendan we'll have say. enough content on IBM yeah yeah <laughs> So I will. I was going to tell you a bit. A few. A few we talked about Jeff Bezos earlier. I have to tell you a few stories. You got some it. scandal. No, well, you know, it's been all over the news. This, this is his boat. Have you heard about his boat? <laughs> I've heard about his 417 boat. Four hundred and seventeen foot mega yacht. Uh, have you ever walked like? Do you walk out there in the field behind you there? That's that's my daily allocation of steps. Four hundred seventeen feet. That is from what I'm looking at. I know you can't see on the on, on the microphone, but it's a lot. That's a big. That's a big boat. That's a big boat. And uh, yeah, they're taking. They're going to take down the deconstruct a the bridge, historic bridge yeah. in Rotterdam. The the bridge has been up since 1877. I think it actually survived the war. You know, the last war. The, the, it survived two wars. The war, I the think World it's war one and World War Two. So yeah. this Larry, Jeff Bezos managed to take it down. Um, I do feel sorry for Larry though. Larry, right, okay. Larry, Larry must be really annoyed because <laughs> his boat is only 288 feet. So, I mean, you know, Larry likes to have the bigger boat. So uh, Maybe Larry's about protecting these structures. Well, you can, well, actually, do you know what? If you really like, if you like Larry a lot, Martin, uh, Martin will be on later. He, 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 they really love Larry and, and, and Spinnaker. He can tell, tell us a few stories, but he can live across the road from Larry. All oh, right. Yeah, there's a house. His house is up for there's sale. There's a house for sale, apparently, in San Francisco. Well, one of many nice. houses that I'm sure he owns. But yeah, there's a house for sale in San Francisco. Dare area. I ask. 110 million. It's an Italian style village. It is tucked into the hills about 30 miles south of San Francisco. It's one of the highest concentrations of the wealth in the United States. Um, people like Charles Schwab and actress Michelle Pfeiffer live by as well. And, right. yeah, it comes so. with a yacht? No. Oh, no, okay. no, no. Not no. so much of a bargain then. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I did actually, there was another story, a great story about IBM again. I know we talked about it earlier, but <laughs> did you hear about their calling exec, their, their old executives were caught, uh, some email, internal emails released about age discrimination lawsuit that they're under, they're called their older workers, dino babies. Dino babies. Did you hear that? <laughs> I feel extinct already. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's an extinct, an extinct species. Yeah, wow. there, was a, there was yeah. There's an ongoing age discrimination lawsuit against the company. So they had, there was documents submitted and evidence that shows that IBM they oust older employees from its workforce and placed them with millennial workers. I mean, they fired tens of thousands of workers over forty years of age. You know what I mean? So you wouldn't want to be. Should we have them all here? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to change their name. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to be fair, the median age hasn't changed massively for IBM, but there's been a huge number of people let go from the organization. You know? Well, it's the cost and stuff. People are getting older, but one of the things they've suffered is obviously knowledge continuity, you know, which comes on to the conversation we'll have with Martin later on, man. And this is back to the team of this whole podcast. It's about third-party maintainers, how we change the software world, you know. I'm not surprised. We've seen it before over the well, last well, we've years. Seen, we've heard loads of stories about it. I mean, I read a story in the Boston Globe during the week, and this particular person wrote on, on, on following the article and it was kind of a bunch of comments that mm. he said one of his closest friends had been a one of the top engineers or technical within an acquisition he didn't name which one an acquisition by yeah. IBM and it's not to be fair this is not exclusive to IBM all these big companies do this they, yeah. they buy these big these, these organizations suck them in buy some really great technology and this particular individual was according to the Boston Globe had been a, a fantastic contributor, had been the person who solved the really, really tricky problems, yeah. right? So the measurement system for deciding who was staying and who was going was purely on how many problems that they solved, not actually the level of difficulty of solving yeah. the problems. So this guy was given all of the really, really tricky problems. So he was let go. Uh, apparently, the person who wrote the blogs had to console him out in the car park. He was in tears, like he'd been top employee at the previous company, let go. Anyway, good news for him is that he went out and he within within six months he set up his own consulting again consulting back to the customers and the same way as we bring in some of these yeah, guys yeah. giving them outstanding service and has a, has his own kind of happy ending yeah, I guess yeah. in that in that particular area. But so uh, there is good news. It's but it is it's been in all serious. It is too common a story we see the whole time. I'm, I mean, I remember even when we set up this business back in 2015 recruiting, talking to a lot of these IBM experts and stuff for that, you know, and there was, I remember one guy in California, she used to work with NASA on mm. a space program. He did firmware for the space um, uh, missions and stuff for that. Went to work with IBM 25 years, specialized in product called Maximo. And one day they just came down and said, sorry, you're part of the redundancy package. Wow. And it was just pure cost cutting. Pink you know? slip. Was it? Pink slip and a month severance pay. And that was it after 25 years. Oh. And he said, that wasn't the best bit. And I said, well, how can I get any better? And on his last day, when he was packing up, they were saying it was an accounting error. He wasn't meant to get him. So, it, so you can see what way that went. But sure to say, he's with us today, so still in the team. Did they come and up to him and told him the last day? That's last day. So he more or less just said, you know, that's yeah. it. So he's still with us today. But yeah, but yeah, every day you hear those stories. Yeah. Well, listen. So we just mentioned two companies earlier, Cisco and IBM, and I pulled out this very interesting report. You're very happy to see it. Yeah, mm -hmm. there in my hand. The top companies for customer satisfaction. Well, number one, <laughs> Cisco. Oh. Number three, IBM. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's. I don't. I just don't know how these things work. Where, where did I, their stats come from? I tried to find. <laughs> I was looking really, really closely 
uh, at trying to figure out where did this come from, but it's, it's it has been published in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, the source is very, very small. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, give you one. I found some stats as well. It was similar to that. I don't know whether all stats are made up, but this is a non-profit organization called Just Capital. Right? Okay. It's all about restoring faith in capitalism, right? Yeah. But, but they survey these technology companies and stuff like that and track their performance against public priorities, right? And I've a fact you. So on IBM, they rate them for their workers third in the industry. For looking after the workers, which I thought surprising. Sorry, Go back to your whole, dino babies. In the entire in the tech entire industry. in the entire in their industry, yeah. So that's us, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I'd love them to do a review on us, but anyway, and for looking after their customers in the industry, number one in the software industry. I know, but number one for what? <laughs> <laughs> How a company treats its customers. They're 14th overall, but I just thought, where are these numbers? But there you go, from a not-for-profit, not just capital online. You can check them out, but they profile all these vendors. I haven't seen Cisco's all right, ones. So but... will, will those customers who actually agree yeah. with that, please email. Please email, email exactly. Info <laughs> and original.com, and we just would love to know. Yeah. We'd love to know more. Yeah. Love yeah. To know and more. just capital, if you are listening, we'd love you to survey ourselves, track our performance. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, actually, here's the thing. I actually think, and we're going to bring we're going to bring Martin in on this because I want to ask him this question. If you look at what's happening with with IBM, actually, they have been using more and more. I mean, I got some news this morning that they are involved in with a number of large third party maintainers in Germany, mm. subcontracting a lot of services to those. They really want to get into that space. And Martin knows an awful lot about this because Martin is ex IBM. He is. Somebody who understands IBM probably better than most, but he also understands our industry. He's been working and heading up Spinnaker Supports EMEA business for the last couple of years. Martin Biggs, welcome. How are you? Oh, great. Good to meet you, Thomas. Good to see you, Rowan, as well. I can actually see you guys. Of course, the listeners count. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's great to have you. And th thank you for joining us. I, I want to ask the first question to you. Are you responsible for the IBM becoming number three in the survey that I just called out? <laughs> well, I've, I've got nothing to do with their business anymore. I, I, I must be a dino baby. I mean, I, I reflected just to talk to a customer an hour ago that uh, I joined as a graduate in 2000 working in the services business because that was the hot area to be. That was you know you wanted to be in services if you're in it it was the growth area and they've sold that off last year in kindrel so obviously i'm i am a dino baby <laughs> yeah but you but you actually did start out in if i'm not mistaken martin correct me if i'm wrong you started out with ibm or not started out but you worked with ibm in uh, malaysia was it and you introduced the third-party software maintenance business to IBM. Ah, yeah 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 so of course ibm has been in the third party hardware business for some time yeah so whether it be you know working alongside companies like cisco or juniper to provide extended you know enhanced support or instead of people like dell or hp or whatever you know that's the business they've been in but it was really that hardware layer and i remember i was in front of a client in 2017 so i was I was based out of Asia for, for 10 years of IBM. And we were doing a, a whole of their hardware environment. And we came with this great concept and it's going to save him a whole load of money. And he was really excited about it. And he went, well, I have to take it to RFP. And unfortunately, as is the way in Malaysia, I'd had to give it to the company that was my brothers, uncles, sisters, wives, company, or whatever it was. And I was like, oh no, and he's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm all, you know, you, you were so close, but I had to do that. What about software? And of course, we didn't have a story on software at all. But I saw a presentation the day before that we had some idea of working with some companies on Oracle. And he was going, well, could you do Oracle? And I was like, well, if I, I don't know. But if I could save you, I don't know, 20, 30%, would you be interested? He go, I'd bite your arm off. And so obviously the next few days, I checked it out. 
found out about uh, this company called Spinnaker Support, who uh, IBM lawyers were happy for IBM to work with um, because you know, they weren't being sued by Oracle, which is obviously very helpful. Yeah. And, uh, and the rest became history. And that was the beginning of the relationship. I moved back to the UK, started building a, a big pipeline in that business with Spinnaker because I could see the impact it was making. I could see how upset so many clients were with Larry's business. The, the fact he's got two fighter jets is uh, quite ironic in current market. And um, and uh, yeah, and the rest became history. And I thought, I like that company. And then I joined them. So yeah, here I there's, am. There's been many, there's been many, many stories of like, like that. And that's great. It's a great story. And it's, I mean, if you look at, when you say Oracle, I, I, I presume majority of what you do is the ERP side of things. I know you can do the database as well. Is it the ERP or is it a whole mix? No, it's definitely a whole mix. I think the probably the majority of what we do now is database-based. To be fair, yeah. I mean, our, our history is is ERP, so JD Edwards and SAP, and obviously the business suite on the, on the Oracle side. But most of the major clients, the the retail bank, utilities, critical national infrastructure, whatever, that's mainly database and middleware. Yeah, mm-hmm. because we I mean, look at that, the, at the drivers behind the credit growth, and because we're seeing growth in our business that you know it's strong, high double digits, and we were until recently triple digit growth per annum growth. And I'm sure you're experiencing the same yourself. Gartner have written a report on this, talking about the, on average the industry's grown over 33% per annum. So there's been there's some fantastic growth in it, and that's on the business side. But what's the customer on the customer side? But what what do you see? What are the really real reasons people are are buying from from your organization? We obviously know about them on our side, but in, are you seeing the same types of things we're seeing? I mean, obviously, cost clear cost is clearly a, one driver, but it's not the only one, sure, isn't it? Yeah, no, cost is the starter of the conversation, but it's it's not the conversation. And actually, our biggest surprise was, I mean, last year was a, a phenomenal year which we expected because of COVID-19 and the fact there's going to be lots of distressed industries, um, whether it be retail, manufacturing, whatever. But probably only one, maybe two clients came to us because of being in financial distress. The vast majority were, whether it was Oracle or SAP, was wanting to take into their own hands their own destiny. By that, I mean, you have and an Oracle, the worst of this, right? So if you've got a different product families, like you've got database and you've got the CRM Siebel and you've got, I know, Agile PLM, if you've mixed that all together on your orders, it's brilliant how they came up with this, by the way. Yeah, and then you said, all right, I want to move my CRM to Salesforce, like a lot of companies are. Um, Oracle will say, well, that's fine, but you've still got to pay me for it. And they go, what do you mean? I want to close it all down. I go, oh yeah, but because you put it on the same contract as your other bits, then I'm going to reprice those other bits. And guess what? The new price without the Siebel is going to be well, probably 2% less than it was beforehand. It's amazing. So there's this kind of this whole uh, ecosystem lock-in. And so most clients are coming to us because they want to do what they want to do that's right for them. And then maybe at some point in the future, they'll move back to Oracle or SAP when the strategy is right for the bits of their business that's right. I mean, a, mm-hmm. a classic example is lots of customers are, really trying to investigate moving to Postgres. But to get this right, so I don't know if you see this on IBM. I don't know, even though I was in that business unit in IBM, I don't know how they price their database support, the DBT support. But if Oracle, if you've got a, a thousand databases with them and say you migrated 500 away to uh, Postgres um, or any other data, Microsoft SQL server, whatever, and then you say to Oracle, what's the new price going to be now? They'll go, oh, it's going to be 2 3% more because you've got an inflationary at it. Go, oh, no, I only got half it. Don't matter, mate. 
I'm going to charge you exactly what you had before, plus the inflationary adder. So there is no economic advantage at all to investigating new technologies, which is fundamentally wrong. Yeah. So if you're a CIO, mm -hmm. you're going, well, hang on. I need not only the money to invest to do that migration and do what's right for my business, but, uh, <laughs> but I don't want to be paying even more because I'm doing the best thing. So, yeah, that, that's been the biggest driver, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's actually... I identical actually uh, i mean obviously the technologies are different but the but the tactics are the same the tactic really at a very simple level is a particular salesperson or a, a division of a company within whether it's oracle or ibm or the sap or any of these mega vendors they if you're a company and you're spending x number of million with them every year regardless of what you do my goal and our goal is to keep the same amount of million coming in it's not to actually provide you any other value anymore it's not like it's it's a very very simple one-dimensional goal and the issue is in today's world that that doesn't fit with the goals of the, the customer and it never did but you know years gone by there was value in many of the products to be fair that all these companies had and the, you know and they were also winning new customers as well none of them are winning any new customers what we're talking yeah. about. They're converting divisions of customers, perhaps because of these tactics. But they're actually, if you go out in the marketplace, if you raised a billion dollars in the morning and created a company, you would not buy any product from IBM or Oracle in the morning at all. Not a single product. There's no way you would, because you don't need to. You would, you would basically go to any one of the number of companies. And the only way you would probably end up accidentally buying from them if the company you were buying from was bought by them. That's the only way. That's yeah, the yeah. only way. You would not buy anything that they have in their <coughs> kit bag. So when you have that scenario, that you're left in a situation where the only tactic they have is, is to find contractual ways, like paperwork ways, to confuse. You know, this is the sort of thing where you see in the financial services industry, we as consumers get protected because of the complexity. We get protected by the uh, you know, consumer protection authorities, whether it be the UK or Europe or US. You get protected because actually they know what the tactics are designed to confuse and to make it, make it trickier for you to understand what you're spending money on and to charge you it's either the same or more money every year. That's it. That's their only tactic. And there's no choice. I mean, you look at that example you mentioned there. I mean, customer, and probably I'd imagine most customers are not going to move everything over to Postgres. There's probably a balance of, you know, some of the data, right? But yeah. the customer is thinking, okay, we're going to move some of this over. We make some save savings. This is helping with the transformation journey. Okay. But obviously it's a big cost even moving to Postgres. And all of a sudden now you're left with massive increases. You know what I mean? on the expectation you were going to make some savings, but then the choice is taken away from you. And if you look at the service, Martin, I don't know if you see this one too, the look at the service, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. This predates your time in it, but I remember years ago, Oracle used to boast in their annual results about how much more, how more, how much more money they generated from their support business and how less they invested in it. So they'd say, we grew our support business by... X percent, and then we spent Y percent less on it. I mean, what a what a what a stupid boast! <laughs> it's like it means that they, so. In other words, they've been spent years not wanting to provide any any support at all. Almost, we, we, you've kind of got onto another part of my challenge, probably your challenge as well, that they could do that because customers felt that they had to do that because maybe they're regulated. So they need to be, in quotes, supported, whatever that means. Mm. Um, and they had to do that because they wanted the right to upgrade or whatever it might be. 
and there was no alternative. And part of my challenge still is that I find when I go to conferences and uh, that aren't you know the usual Gartner conferences where people are looking for this, but other conferences where CIOs or IT architects are at, they don't know that our industry exists because it's kind of a bit like voodoo because you know we don't have access to the source code. So how could you possibly fix Oracle technology or uh, IBM technology? It's like, there are many ways and we can go into all the details. I'm not going on this, on this podcast, of course, but conceptually it should not exist. So someone like Oracle can get away with those ridiculous, ridiculous posts. I had a, a conversation with a CIO for a, a parliament, I won't say which country, and they were going, look, last year during a major project, after a month, we got the level four engineer working with us on a, a transformation piece that we're doing due to complexities from Oracle. How could you ever do that? You're not Oracle. You have no relationship with Oracle. What they could understand was, and I tried to explain three or four times and implored they speak to some of our customers is you speak to that person immediately. You don't have to go through, you know, the, the call centers. Well, through the website first, go for my Oracle support, try and solve it. You solve it yourself. They're charging people millions to go onto a website to yeah. solve it themselves. It blows my mind. And when you talk to engineers, well, that's going to go away. They're like, but you can't take that away. It's like, well, I know that's going to hurt, but you're going to talk to one of our engineers who's going to be answer that for you. And you're going to spend time doing something valuable for your business rather than just to try to solve something for yourself. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I personally think, though, in our experience, we've been doing this since, since 2012, uh, we got our first customer in 2015, we're finding that people actually, people like that CIO you mentioned, and thank you, you didn't mention which where they're from, they're more like the dino babies, they're becoming extinct. I think people are getting smarter about this stuff. It, it is a challenge to get cut through the, the advertising and the, the, the power of the big, the big vendors, but actually, I think organizations seek us out, actually, they, mm. they, they want to know more about us. And they want to support us. And when they engage with us, and I'm sure it's the same in your business, when they engage with us, they are so pleased with the difference of the service. Yes, yes. It's incredible. Because yeah. like you say, yeah, you know, I, I, and we talk about what we're trying to do. We are changing the software industry because the software world has spent the last 10 or 15 years trying to find ways, like you described, solve it yourself, we talked earlier about sad, the sad story, what's going on, a terrible story going on in Ukraine, nearshoring, offshoring to wherever part of the world they could put us, put us far away from where they are. Everything about trying to find a way not to answer the call, not to provide a service. And then dressing up these things, a level four engineer, the naive CIO, honestly, the naive CIO, how could they even have that job still and do their job properly without realizing what's going on? Like, really, it's happening right in front of their eyes, and they don't realize it. You're nearly better off saying, good luck. <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> yeah. good well, some, luck. And some are just incapable of change. I mean, everything you say there resonates. It's, it's the same thing on a lot of our calls. I mean, it's how can this happen? You know what I mean? How is this possible? You know what I mean? How can you do that without access to source code? And it does end up being an education piece, you know? And as you say, just talk to our customers. And, you know, they've had all the same concerns and questions you have. Yeah. And we're able to answer those. But even through all of that, you still may find people who are just incapable of moving beyond it, yeah. you know? Now, you another know? thing which I see a lot, and it's probably a big driver for people coming towards us. And I don't know if this happens in your industry as well. And it's an Oracle thing. It's not an SAP thing. They do a great job in describing in very confusing terms the support they give. So they have this concept called premier support, which is usually for the first five years of the life of the software. 
and they've extended support, which is exactly the same as Premier support, just with a few points uplift for the next three years. Genius. And then after that, it goes into sustaining support, where you pay the same amount as you did at the beginning, but you only get all the previous updates. There's no new security patches. There's no new um, SEV1 issues, you know. And the amount of people that don't realise in the senior parts of the organisation, so the CIO, that they go, well, I'm, I'm fully supportive for my Oracle estate. It's like, no, no, no. You're paying money to Oracle for all your Oracle estate, but you're not supported. And that was the article I wrote the other day. And I've been really surprised that even today, you know, there are still many, many CIOs who don't Oracle team haven't explained to them, you're not actually getting supported. So when Log4j happens on, say, their e-business suite that's no longer, which is now in sustaining support, they're not going to get any support for fixing that. It's amazing. Yeah, a, fa- a false sense of security. You know Correct. what I mean? But yeah, yeah. And it sounds like even, even from an article perspective, that extended support is very the same as IBM's. It's on a, And even there's clause in their best endeavors basis. And if it's not co- commercially possible, we'll just won't put in the effort at all. Well, Oracle should take a leaf out of IBM's book because what, Oracle, what IBM do is they charge you the same price plus an extra fee. Yeah. Plus an extra fee called extended <laughs> support. Brilliant. more for less service. Is there an end of life? Is, does it ever go out of support on the IBM side? Yeah, it, it, it does, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Well, it's exactly the same. Yeah. See, no, 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 that's the point. That's the genius bit from Oracle. It never goes out of support. It just goes into sustaining support. Forever. It, forever. It's genius. <laughs> Absolute genius. All right. Well, thankfully, we don't do that. <laughs> no, 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 we don't. Yeah. I think it's great to hear that this, this is the same type of things you're seeing, the same type of reasons people are buying for you. Your, your, your organization, though, has been obviously going through growth and change. You've added some, some really interesting things to your business as well, haven't you? You've, done, you've moved a little bit into putting your arms more around some of your customers' from a managed service perspective, isn't that correct? Yeah, and I think we've seen a lot of that recently. It's, it's really interesting how a lot of our existing customers have come back. And you were saying about how clients really like your support. Same for us. One of the most embarrassing slides, I always say I'm embarrassed by this slide, is the bit that describes ourselves and says, yeah, last year we asked our customers and our customer satisfaction rate is 97.8%. It looks like I'm don't want to talk about Putin again, but I've got Putin-esque kind of levels of self-delusion. But it is, customers genuinely like that. And they go, well, can you do more for us? And we realise, yeah, actually we can. And so, yeah, we've built out a managed services capability. And that really makes a difference on some of that real legacy stuff. So, of course, like with you guys, part of our whole idea of saying, you know, we're going to support this technology for as long as you want to use it. As long as it's got any kind of value to you as an organisation, we'll support it. And then that means they start getting problems because, the real dino babies are retiring with wherever they might be. And so there's technologies around, you know, some of the JD Edwards technologies, some of the Siebel technologies. It's really hard now to find people in the workplace to do that. And that's where we really come in. Yeah, we'll do obviously manage services around database and so on. But it, you know, the, the area where people are really challenging to provide the kind of level of service that their internal customers expect 24-7, lights on, whatever it might be. Yeah, so I, I, that's an area that's really big growth for us, not just because... You know, this on-prem license stuff at some point is going to go probably in the next 20 odd years as everything that moves to the cloud. So we need a next step to our business strategy. But as customers right now are saying, we want more from you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's probably a common thing, I guess, across the board is that, that it's, it's just a lack of skills. They don't have those skills anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly right. Yeah. And where the skills are, it's hard to get. Yeah, they're yeah. very difficult to get, very difficult to get. The the challenges then, so we, we've seen all the opportunities. What, what are the things that are going to, for our industry to continue to grow, which has been a fantastic journey, and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted you're also part of it now too, and as a peer, 
where do you think the challenges are going to crop up or where are they already crop, cropping up and how do, you, how do you think we can deal with them as an industry? Thomas, I'm going to stop you there. And you're peerless. So I, I feel honoured that you said I'm a peer, but no. <laughs> <laughs> having, a, having a Brit on, a, on the Two Irishmen podcast is quite an honour. But anyway. <laughs> we've had a few, we've had a few. <laughs> so look, I mean, our challenge, it's not, so we're, we're growing, well, we doubled our size in EMEA last year. Um, and of course that involves bringing a lot of people. Like all companies, we've seen the challenge in the workplace where, you know, back in early COVID-19, we probably had 800 applications for every role, which was beautiful. That's pared down a lot now. You know, our business model is not just about being excellent at the service providers like customers, but it's also building out a pipeline of incredibly qualified, highly skilled engineers that we can onboard to our business. That's the lifeblood of how we do that. And of course, being able to do that as a global operation means that we're not just one company based in the UK or a company who's got, you know, five headquarters across cities. We're looking across the world for those skills. And that's part of the challenge. But it is a challenge. It's that finding those skills. The other area and one of the really big reasons why I was really keen to join you today as well is what I said earlier. The awareness that we exist is still pretty low. And the awareness that, you know, I've got these problems. I'm really upset with IBM, SAP, Oracle. What do I do? Unless you know that third party exists you don't know to go look for it that's the real reason that's impeding our growth at the moment and that's why i'm trying to do anything we can just to evangelize yeah. <laughs> in the nicest possible way yeah no and and, and, you, and you, you do a great job with it i'm delighted that you're part of the group and, and one of the reasons we do this podcast is for that one of the reasons we do the work we do with free ict both in europe and now in the u.s is for that and, and we're delighted to have, have, have you guys at spinnakers as a, as a supporter there I think there's a lot of work still to do, though, but we're in a good space. And in that digital transformation journey that customers are on, you know, the complexity of, of the technology, what we do in terms of extending the life of, of the products that they have. You think about a piece of software, it doesn't have a moving part. If it works, it works. And oh, it's like the bit that could actually fail most likely is the hardware. It's not the software. So our job, to some extent, is relatively easy as long as everything else goes well. It's when things go wrong is when you really need our help. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, so. yeah, and, it's, and <clears throat> I think one of the other challenges we're facing is, you know, we've the same challenge, I guess, from an education perspective, but then I guess it's the demand. And, and I think you touched on it there from a skills perspective, you know, break, fix, these software products fairly stable, you know, there's not much value there on a day-to-day basis, but similar to yourselves, but when a call does come in, it's, it's resolved in a much quicker time frame. But I guess it's when customers see you as an enabler, then they naturally gravitate to you and say, well, where else can you help us? I think you're seeing that, we're yeah. seeing the same. And it's, keeping up with that pace of change and demand on your services, you know, and then trying to back it up with skills and expertise and so on, and then not overcommit in certain areas. So it's, it's certainly evolving constantly. It's, you know, it's allowing us to kind of think about where do we go, go forward, you know, not get distracted by shiny toys and so on, but kind of really focus on the areas where we think we'd add value the most. Um, and I think a big part of that is, you know, listen to customers trying to understand what their challenges are, mm-hmm. where they're going and how can we dovetail rather than just being a niche player over here, which is just do maintenance? Because I think their needs, what I'm seeing the last while, particularly in the US, the last couple of weeks when I was over there, is that their expectation where they want us to be is far greater than where we are today. So I think that's a challenge in itself to rise to that expectation, yeah. you know? Bring it on, as I say. Yeah. Martin, before we wrap up, is there anything, anything you wanted to say to cl- close out the conversation? Been great talking to you. Oh, no. 
No, look, I mean, I, I, I don't want to end on a low when we started on a high. Um, but um, obviously what you said right at the beginning is it, a, it's a shocking situation at the moment. And I just wanted to say that, you know, our, our thoughts and prayers are really for all those people in Ukraine right now as well. And, you know, we have we have Russian friends as well who are equally upset in a different way. Yeah, it's not not in their name necessarily. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a tough time. It's a tricky time for yeah, sure. Yeah. Listen, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Pleasure, Martin. Right, that's it. We're done. Wow. Another yeah. podcast. Another podcast. I'm, I, I, I'm delighted you came again. You've been, yeah, it's a bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't got, let Brendan down. No, we can't let him down. Uh, can't let him down. <laughs> Never let him down. Well, you know, we, we, we did a good job today. It was good fun and great to have a chat with Martin. Yeah. Good to see we're, we're on our own changing the software world. No, it's great to have company. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Nice. <laughs> nice. Right. We'll leave it there. We'll Thanks see so you much. in a month. Take care, everybody. Bye.